Alzheimer Speaks Radio, and I will be introducing uh, Vince here in a little bit. But prior to that, I just want to give you a little background about Alzheimer Speaks because we're always getting new people in who are listening to us. Um, bottom line, I started this company because my mom lived with dementia for 30 years. It was life changing. So I, I switched careers to try to help other families live better alongside this disease. So Bottom line, we're an advocacy-based company that provides multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. We also help companies expand their brand footprint by sharing our platforms so that people can more easily find their resources, tools, and products. I also like to thank our audience each and every time we do a show because without you, we wouldn't be here. You see, you've increased our footprint in the world and you have um, expanded um, our content by all of your likes, clicks and shares, which by doing that is helping other families find the resources that they need. So I just wanna thank each of you for doing that and hope you will continue to do that as well. You also might consider being a guest on our show and uh, cause I, I firmly believe everybody has a story. And so if you're living with dementia, if you're caring for someone, if you are a business, if you have a service, a product, a tool, an idea, some type of concept, reach out to me. Just go to alzheimerspeaks.com and you'll see a big contact button and we will go from there. Now, I want to give a shout out to uh, a few companies. Um, one is the Silver Dawn Training Institute. They help professionals and loved ones learn new ways to communicate with individuals diagnosed with dementia. And they do what they call introspective improv. And their approach is unscripted, unconventional, and unapologetic. And they deal with real life scenarios and they consider, you know, where you're coming from as well as where the person diagnosed is. So they look at all those vantage points and, and put a training program uh, together to really assist people. And I'm excited. They're going to be coming to my neck of the woods in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, August 6th and 7th. And I'm actually going to attend their Certified Dementia Communication Specialist training program. And I would encourage you to do the same or maybe check and see if there's one closer to you. And you can go to cdcsdementiaraw.com. That's cdcsdementiaraw.com uh, to learn more information. I also want to give a shout out to Calendar Cards, who has a memory system that they've created to help people live more independently with dementia. They also sponsor the Memory Cafe directory which is a, a directory where you'll be able to find people with dementia and their care partners coming together um, to live in community. And um, it's basically a support group. Uh, and it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful format. But you can find both of them by going to 
memorycafedirectory.com. That's memorycafedirectory.com. And um, then there's all, always the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. So if you're looking for holistic ways, um, you know, the foods you eat, um, your um, physical exercise, meditation, check out um, Alzheimer's Research Prevention Foundation. And you can find them at alzheimersprevention.org. Again, that's alzheimersprevention.org. Now, today we are lucky to have with us Vince um, Zagero, and he has been on the show before. His father had Alzheimer's for over 10 years, and, and Vince was his care partner. His dad was diagnosed at the age of 62, and Vince was only 29 when his world completely changed. And it was uh, he talks about how it was extremely hard for both of them to accept this, and so he said they lived in ignorance for a few years until they no longer could, which is really pretty common out there for families to do. Vince's dad was a hard worker, and he served in the military, and he says he was a great father. Vince talks about himself openly, that he was a selfish ass that lived to be cool, get girls, and make money. But his dad's disease progressed, and with that progression was a huge shift. It was truly a gift to Vince, which he says made him a better man. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we are going to talk about um, Vince, who um, became the founder of something really cool. It's called Alzheimer's Music Fest, which is all in honor of his, his dad. And I was lucky enough to go down and um, see him in action. And it's it's really a pretty beautiful, amazing thing that he has pulled together. So welcome, Vince. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Well, I'm, I'm excited to talk with you again. A lot of things have changed since uh, since I was down in Atlanta and, uh, and saw you with your music fest. That was several years back. And I know a lot has changed in terms of just your, your, your life in general and um, the music fest as a whole. So the first thing I want to ask is if you wouldn't mind explaining a little bit more about your journey with your dad, with our audience. Dad was diagnosed at 62, which of course, you know, the way they say is probably about five, six years before that from diagnosis um, is, you know, that's kind of what I figured too, just being logical. Mm -hmm. um, I was again, probably about 29, time frames get a little confusing there. So whatever it says. <laughs> um, we try to live in the moments over here and not the past or the future. And so, yeah, we started the first four years was very, very difficult. You know, I was, I was a kid. I was a selfish guy. You know, I wasn't a bad person. I was just like probably every other 29 year old, you know, just trying to figure out stuff. Didn't want to settle down. And then dad was going through his transition from living in this reality to his new reality. And it took us probably about four I'd say three and a half to four years to finally get over that stumping because for two years we lived in ignorance until we couldn't anymore. Like you said, mm -hmm. which a lot of things do, which I don't think is always a bad way to go. It depends on the way you want to do it. I have no regrets there. And then we went into compatible behavior and I wasn't that great because I was trying to force him to live in my world and I couldn't accept living in his world at that time. So we probably had about a two year period of that. And then when we slowly tried to live in his world, then he transitioned into this beautiful other reality that was almost like looking through a child's eyes. He just, we started living in the moment 
the now, not the past, not the future, right here, right now, not later. That's when everything changed for us. Yeah, that's a beautiful place to be. And um, and I think, you know, I've always said that I think dementia is here to teach us a lesson, to, to be better people, to live in the moment, to appreciate what we have, because life, life goes by so dang fast. It really does help us look at the little things that are so beautiful and so meaningful and yet so overlooked in, in a lot of daily life. And it's, um, I think it's a, a gift that passes on way past just the relationship with your loved one with dementia. It just makes you look at the world, I think, in a different, different light, or it did me. No, it does. I think anybody that's been, you know, there's different forms of this too. And, you know, when you go through an extended time with this, because this is just my experience, but I know anybody that, takes on being a care partner is great, but I just always thought of it as an honor. My dad took care of me. I took care of him. That's just the way I was raised. I never thought it was that big of a deal, to be honest with you. So, but then you start getting in this, then you look at it and um, there are little things that you have to adjust, but it always makes you a better person. And it makes you look at things like they're brand new every day. It almost can be overwhelming when you even walk outside, when you're able to go, I, it almost is a scary place. And you have to train yourself once again, not to be scared of that. But dad had so much strength. He gave so much to this world. So I can give a little bit back like he did, um, which he gave a tremendous back then. That's where I'm going to kind of lay my hat down and go for it. In terms of giving back, one of the things you created is the Alzheimer's Music Fest. Can you tell us when and how that came to be? We didn't really know any Alzheimer's dementia families. What we, you know, what I decided to do when we were, you know, because I didn't really talk about this with friends. We started losing friends, um, started not talking to family members much, things like that. That happens. It's pretty, um, it's pretty similar around the board and a lot of times with this thing. And so I wanted to say, well, I don't see a community. I also called some of the larger nonprofits. There were no help, um, not one little bit of help. So that was pretty disheartening. And so I was like, well, let's start something to help care partners, um, which a lot of people call them caregivers. I like care partners um, because you know what? Your family member is working just as hard as you and probably harder. Mm-hmm. So what I like, you know, I was like, let's create a community. You know, let's go find these families. I did music since I was a kid. I knew I could throw one together. I knew, you know, enough bands and um, had some friends that knew bands. And so we started the first fest. We raised, you know, $10,000 and we spent $2,000. And my whole thing is like, if you're going to do this, you do it 80% for families and hopefully under 20% cost. But that's always our thing. You're always going to have costs, but let's do it the right way get the families the money and be able to, you know, start providing respite care programs. And that's why we started it. It almost ended up not in a selfish way, but Hey, I don't see a community. Um, I don't quite know what the heck these other larger nonprofits are doing. Um, not to be mean. I'm sure there's a lot of people like, you know, that like them, but I just don't see anything. Um, not even legislation being changed. So, you know, you have to really look at things and the dotted lines. So I hope they're doing good work. I just can't see it. So what do you remember what year you started? It was 2013. Okay. okay. We ended up doing three in one year. Okay. And that's when I had to kind of back off and be like, I'm a care partner. Um, my then girlfriend, now wife, Amy, um, which was a huge support system, was like, Vince, you're going to kill yourself. So how many do you do a year now? Um, we do one big one, but it's getting pretty huge. It sells out every year now. Um, and then we're bringing it to Tampa Bay, um, next year in March. 
then we'll do it two nights in a row. Plus, um, we just trademarked Alzheimer's on parade. We'll do a big parade in Woodstock. And then we'll do Alzheimer's in the Sky, Alzheimer's Hot Air Balloon Festival in Kennesaw. And then we go to Seattle, Seattle, Destin, and Ohio in 2020. Wow. So it's really expanded a lot. So um, can you tell people what what they would expect by going to this fest? What's there? Well, we always have a great headliner this year. We have Driving and Crying, which is George's band. They're raised here right now. Darius Rucker, Jason Aldean, and all of them are covering their song called Going Straight to Hell. Um, so this is a band I grew up with, and I got fortunately got to know Joey Huffman and a few folks that have been involved in the band. So they came on this year. We'll have about 24 bands in 12 hours. We'll also have people that actually have Alzheimer's dementia speaking. Um, we'll actually have people that have been care partners speaking. We'll have resources for people, um, wheelchair ramps, hospital, because that's another thing we partnered with Chris Brand at FODAC. So now we can actually provide almost free hospital beds, um, wheelchairs, any medical equipment at home. I'm so proud of that. It's taken us so long, and I'm so proud of our friend Chris Brand for kind of coming on, partnering with us, and then also our friends, Dementia Spotlight, that we're partnered with. We couldn't do it without them. Dementia Spotlight is what literally keeps a roof over my head so I can go do um, what we feel we need to do in this community. We all have different school traits. And then mm-hmm. we're also talking to Gary LeBlanc to bring the education for hospitals, sheriff offices, um, back over to Atlanta. He's in Florida. And then hopefully we start doing all these programs in each state we go to. That's the goal. Okay. So how did you get into the sky with the hot air balloons? How did that happen? Uh, my dad was in aviation. I got drunk on vacation. It was my first vacation of 14 years. <laughs> and I looked up at the stars at a beach. It was very overwhelming to me. And I'm not exaggerating. First vacation of 14 years. And I don't care about that. Didn't care to take a vacation. So it was a privilege and an honor being a care partner. My father, I miss him every day. I wish I could crawl back in that bubble because I liked it there immensely. So, but you have to start stepping out because this goes on before, you know, beyond this and you can't stop being a care partner. It doesn't end. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. Even when the physical form of your loved one's there, you feel their presence every day. You know that. Mm-hmm. And so my dad was in aviation. I got drunk on some beers, a couple of shots, which I normally don't drink shots, but I was on vacation. Give me a break. And so I went to my wife, Alzheimer's in the sky. She was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I don't know, just write it on my notepad. notepad. I woke up the next morning with a killer hangover. I looked at it. I was like, what the heck was I talking about? I deleted it. And then I went, dad was in aviation, been in airplanes. That ain't going to work. Hot air balloons. I called my uncle Sal. I told him my idea. He was like, I know a lot of people in that community, which is thousands of people. And next thing you know, it's becoming a reality. Alzheimer's in the sky, Alzheimer's hot air balloon festival. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. And how about the parade? Because that's a different concept, too. When I was down, you just had the fest itself. Um, Yeah, dad um, gave me that when we were at home hospice, which was a beautiful but very painful time. Um, He was in home hospice for 15 days um, without food and water. At that point, his brain died enough where his organ, organs couldn't accept IV anymore and he couldn't swallow that. If you're fortunate enough, and I know that sounds a little weird, um, to live this a distance, well, mm-hmm. you're going to live that. That's what happens. I used to not want to hear about it, so I get if many of your listeners or people mm-hmm. do not. Um, but that's what happens. So um, but I got to hold my hand, dad's hand until his last breath, and a lot of people don't get that. 
And so, um, and anyway, so during that time, I was pretty sleep deprived. All of us were, you know, we we're doing the flippy flop every two and a half hours with dad. He was smiling up to that last week. And then we had to start the morphine because his breath was getting aspirated. And um, again, we never went more than 0.25. And I don't think people really get what home hospice is. You ha- literally have a doctor or a nurse come in maybe once a day for an hour. And then you have someone come in every two, three days to help you with the bath. And then it's up to you. And it's a beautiful thing to do. You should do it. I would give it, tell anybody to do that. Mm-hmm. But I do not think everything will be taken care of for you. That's not the way it works. And that's exactly the way we wanted. Yeah. You understand. And so during that point, I was like marching forward. No, that sounds like a walk. Um, walks are great, but that's not my gig. I wanted to create something unique. And I was like, how about we throw a bunch of people marching? Well, that sounds a little um, Hitler. That ain't going to work. <laughs> marching forward. And then I was just like, well, why don't we throw a parade? Mm-hmm. And I believe dad gives me these ideas. I truly think to this day he speaks through me. People can think I'm a weirdo. I live it. I see it. It's him and God. Um, no matter how you feel, I'm not a very organized religion person, but I'm very spiritual and I know it's true. Yeah. Well, it's funny you say that because my mom, and when you talk about hospice, my mom came to me in dreams towards the end. And she, um, I remember one night she said, you need to finish my obits. It's two in the morning. And she's like, it's not going to be much longer, Lori. You need to finish it. So I got up and I went to my computer at two in the morning and I worked to finish it. And then she came to me another time and said, you know, you're not going to be here when I go. And I'm like, I'm, I'm that person. I'm always that person that helps people transition. I'm the one holding the hand. I'm, I'm the one camping out overnight with them. And she said, no, you have to be gone. She says, one, I need to know you're going to continue this work. And two, the others need to be part of this process. And my mom was always really big in to um, us understanding the life cycle. And so when we were little, she would bring us to funerals and wakes. And I remember her friends, some of her friends would shame her going, they shouldn't be here. And my mom was one of those that was just, this is a normal part of life. They need to understand we're all leaving at some point. And so my mom said, I need you gone because the rest of them need to partake in the dying process. And so I, I ended up having two speaking gigs in Arizona. I was a keynoter and there's no one I can call to fill in for me. And my family thought I was having a nervous breakdown, but I felt very centered. I knew this is where she wanted me to be. Um, But the beautiful thing was we were able to communicate through Facebook and we did video chats. And so I could see my mom. I, I was there when they did the last rites. I saw her take her last breath. I could guide my family to do all the little things that need to be done. You know, if they're too hot, getting cool washcloths, if they're um, too cold, you know, getting heated blankets, um, doing the swabs, all of those things. I could guide them, but they could physically partake. And I thought, man, she just so brilliantly had that all figured out. And on my whole trip, she had the perfect people alongside of me the whole time, from the guy sitting on the plane with me to the woman next to me at when I went and picked up my luggage to when she took her last breath, a perfect stranger. Um, had called me months before to take me out to dinner. And um, this woman 
was like the perfect person to be seated with. And she said, you know, in my culture, this is an honor and I'll go home tonight and I will cleanse my body. I will light a candle and for 90 days I will pray for you and your family during this transitional moment. And she went home that night, she took a picture of her altar and sent it to me. And she said, oh, by the way, a baby will be born. And I thought, well, I have one daughter, that's not gonna happen. Sure as heck, my, my daughter got pregnant. And so our joke was, Grandma wants back in. <laughs> well, you know, the universe and, you know, and exactly what you just said. And sometimes, you know, when we were going through the hospice thing, I tried to walk away because we were going, you know, 18 days without food and water. And I'm yeah. like, and I would walk away. Yep. Just like you said, like, maybe he doesn't want me to be here. Yep. And yep. then what we realized, um, and I called my Aunt Phil, his sister, and you have to understand, you know, my uncle Chick has Alzheimer's. My aunt B has dementia. My aunt Fran had dementia. His dad had dementia or Alzheimer's. So my aunt Phil is really the only family member that hasn't been affected mm -hmm. uh, on his side of the family. And she was like, he's waiting to his mom's birthday. I'm like, when is his mom's birthday? She was like, um, it's on the 10th. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, that morning before nine, um, I grabbed his hand. Couple wow. deep breaths, press, and there we go. I think he was waiting for his mom to come get him because I kept on saying, "Mom will be there with you. Mom loves you. Mom's waiting on you." Mm -hmm. uh, but I was saying it about my mom, mm -hmm. his wife, and I think he was saying it about his mom. Sure, sure. So there, there we go. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Believe me, the first couple months, ah oh, man, it took me a long time to level out. If you know, and you know, I'm very hyper anyway. Mm -hmm. I got to be doing eight things at once or I'm not happy. And I do them pretty good. I'm just blessed in that, that I have that kind of, I guess, time management skill. And, um, but yeah, I, I would have it no other way. We had a flag. We had, um, his chaplain and he, then we had his, um, service. And then we, he was at the national memorial, which is even weirder which is about eight minutes from my house. We don't get to pick that. Mm -hmm. So I get to go see my mom, my dad, their, and my family dog, all their ashes are in the National Memorial. It is weird the way the universe looks if you step back and, and watch it all. But I agree with you, being part of that, um, that process is incredible. I mean, to, to be with someone when they transition, I don't know. I just found it very peaceful for myself. I know when my dad died, I actually felt his energy go up my arm. My mom, like I said, I saw it on camera, but I knew we were connected um, so deeply that that connection will never, ever break. Um, you know, we still communicate um, to this day. Like you said, feel their presence and no, I think you're exactly right. And it, like, again, and it does help you cope with what's going on about, the, you know, if you're lucky to get that long and, you know, I know people have been in hospice for years. Hospice is not the end for everybody. Right. But I waited until I really needed it. Some people needed it, but I just didn't want people at my house all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I enjoyed our time, you know, friends, family, that's great. But I just didn't want nurses around all the time. You know what I mean? And, um, so, and I was young enough that I could do that. Right. Um, just physically I could do that. And so 
Yeah, but it, it does. It's a beautiful, spiritual, but painful. It's all in one. It's all encompassing. Um, everybody will have their different transitions. But another thing it made me is I don't want to die anytime lately mm-hmm. or anytime soon. I'm not lately. Anytime soon. But it didn't make me completely afraid of it. Does that make sense? Yep. Yep. If you do it that way, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Some random, random kind of crazy, that scares me. But if you do it, he did everything right. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, too, is, you know, anytime you lose somebody you love, you're going to have great grief. But what I always tell people is, you know, you can't have great grief without great love. And it's an honor honor to have that great love because there's so many people that never, ever get close to that. And so if we can kind of, flip that process into one of gratitude and not that we shouldn't grieve because you have to go through the grieving process. But if we can, but if we can appreciate what we had was pretty glorious and not something that everybody gets in life. uh, To me, that's very comforting anyways um, with that. Yeah. I'm pretty open about this. I always, when I wrote back in the day, I was always like, and it's true. I was like, my dad's my best friend. He's my father. He's my son. He's my teacher. He is everything. He is my unconditional love. When he transitioned, he became my father. Mm-hmm. Not my son. I didn't lose a son. I thought I was going to feel that way. I didn't lose a son. Mm-hmm. I lost my dad. And that's when I became son again. Mm-hmm. So take that for what it is, but that's how I felt. Yeah. Well, the other thing I want to touch on is you talked about, you know, hospice isn't always for the end. And I'll use my mom as an example. We thought she was it was going to be the end for her. And then through all the extra care and all the extra visits that she got, um, she perked back up. And then she lived another three years um, before. Very often. Exactly. Exactly. And I think families are so afraid that everything has to be the final, you know, moment, but we, none of us know what our timing is. And, and really hospice and palliative care is all about comfort. That's exactly what it is. And it gives you a little extra support. I'll be honest with you. I wish I would have done it earlier, but I did take that to a doctor. I did ask about it. And the with dad, what happened was, you know, he was pretty unmobile the last five years. Um, he could walk. I could walk him to the bathroom, assisted, highly assisted. Um, he wasn't, of course, going to use walkers, any of that crap. Um, but, you know, what happened with dad, it was like literally happened within a month. Mm-hmm. It just went. Then I was like, I already called hospice before we took him to the hospital. I already had it set up. We took him to the hospital. They were like, he's not swallowing. Do you want to take him home? Hospice was already there because I already called him um, the day before planning it. I was like, yes, we're taking him home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I knew, you know, when it's going to happen, you're joined when you're a care partner, you know, each other, you don't need verbal. Yeah. You don't need crap. You're joined by love. You don't need to know what role you are in it. You don't need to know your son, a mom, a father. That's you're just joined by love. Yeah. Now, did you guys have a conversation earlier on when your dad was able to talk about those things? Because I know a lot of families don't, but it can be of really course. helpful. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. But you know, just you know, that that was so long ago that, you know, and again, I know yours was even longer, so you know, and I know, you know, I'm friends with many advocates, you know that. 
and many independent advocates, which I take their advice more than anybody's, right? And so when you, you know, we talked about it, but this was it. We didn't really know, even though his father had Alzheimer's dementia, we're like, dad, we're just going to figure it out. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, I don't want to drive anymore. I ended up in LJ. I'm like, give me your keys. I didn't have to ask him for the keys. Yeah. Honey, I can't write my signature anymore. Okay. Well, then, you know, we had the power attorney. I started writing a signature. Um, we just did everything until we couldn't do it anymore. Right. Yeah. I never forced him. I tried to force him a couple of times, but it just became like, okay, I can't, I can get in the shower and wash myself because your muscle or your muscle memory just does that. Right. Mm -hmm. But those things start dying because people don't understand. It's not about memories necessarily. Okay. Get over it. Your brain is freaking dying. And when your brain dies, your physical form dies with it. People need to get over this whole forgetting forgetting yeah it's a little bit about that that's not what alzheimer's is and i think we're putting it in a box if you keep putting the crap in a box someone's going to put a box in front of it and someone's not going to see it anymore mm -hmm. you got to stop it yeah you can't put labels the best doctors in the world will actually tell you we don't know yeah we're trying we're getting somewhere but we don't know any doctor that tells you need that they know fire them yeah yeah, they don't know what causes it, so they, you know, how do you have a cure for that? And so we have to learn to live graciously alongside it and with it. And because uh, none of us are, none of us are perfect. I love uh, Dr. Stephen Post talks about we are all differently abled. He says from the moment we're born, we're all differently abled. And you know, when we get some form of illness, that doesn't change us. We're still all differently abled. There's a lot of things we can do. We just might do them a little different than the next guy. But you know my, you know, my, my um, partner, Whitney um, Allman, she um, is the CEO of Dementia Spotlight, you know, cared for her dad, was a co-partner of her dad for eight years, and her mom was there, and um, his name was Anthony, and um, I never got to meet him, but I thank him every day for, because of his trust, being able to do this, and I feel the correct way. Mm -hmm. I don't people do in many manners with this, not... Sorry, I'll talk about it. Um, I won't mention any names, so I'll leave it at that. And anyway, so between them and these people, I got to meet Dr. Hugh. At, um, he's a leading, um, one of the leading research scientists at Emory um, for Alzheimer's dementia. And you know where he got me at? I don't He had me at I don't know. Mm -hmm. Hey, Dr. Hugh, why is everybody in my family got? Should I go take a gene test? He's like, no, Vince, it'll tell you 15%. What are you? What lineage are you? Italian? He was like, I don't know. Maybe 15%. I can tell you that. The gene test ain't going to tell you crap. We don't know enough yet. Yeah. I'm like, like I said, a doctor always gets me at, I don't know. Well, what can we do to make it more comfortable? Yeah. Well, because then you get that information and, you know, we take it as being solid. And most doctors I've talked to say, don't take a gene test because, we still don't know if, even if you have the gene, is it going to take, you know, it's. <laughs> it, it, it don't know. It's but, mean, all this other stuff. And I love it. They're trying it, but I just like doctors that are honest to you. Yeah. And believe me, I'm sure you went through many and you had to go because I know I had to go through a lot. And we were so fortunate to have a family doctor, Dr. Adele, that just knew that I knew what I was talking about. She listened to me. You find the doctors. Okay. They're not your peer. They're yeah. doing their job. You're doing your job. You actually probably know more than they do. Mm -hmm. how to care for your loved one for Alzheimer's and dementia. They're there for the underlying causes. Yeah. All they can do is give you an amenda, Erisa, maybe give the echelon pack, some other crap. 
that's fine. I believe in that stuff. It works for sometimes people. Sometimes people react poorly with it. It depends on the individual. This is not all fits one. Yeah. It's different in every situation. And two people start getting this. They're not going to understand a movement. Legislation will not be changed. People will not, you know, they're going to consider a mental disability, not a physical disability. Mm-hmm. Right now, they don't have a choice because you know what? Alzheimer's is not the sixth leading cause. That's a bunch of crap. They're not recording Alzheimer's on death certificates. They're not considering dementia in that study. Mm-hmm. They're not considering any of this crap. It's probably the second leading cause. I would guesstimate on that. I don't know. No one's an expert. But you know what's going to happen is we will bankrupt Medicare. So you think Medicare really wants to do this? So this is, I don't want to bankrupt Medicare. So what we need to do is come as a joint movement and the people that are actually doing it, do it right. And the people that aren't ready to do it right, get out of the way. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it's about building a community that cares. And it's not about the right or the wrong, but it's really about being supportive. And so for me, I... um, To me, I believe there is a right and a wrong. Not being a care partner, but when it comes to act or being, you know, I guess being an advocate Mm -hmm. and running a nonprofit, there is always a right and wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. But I think sometimes people think that it's my way or the highway. And with dementia, everybody's a little bit different. Everybody's different. You know, you can't, again, can't put it in a box. If you start doing that, it's third. Yeah. The other thing I just want to comment on when you were talking about the doctors in terms of giving prescription, I think one of the things that I liked um, so much about Dr. Bid, who was just a, a family um, practitioner that my um, my folks used, was he he wanted to learn from us. So he was eager to, you know, set up lines of communication so that we weren't the bad guys when we went to the doctor. Right. And he would read the information and then he would he would have it come into play and then it was respected and it wasn't us tattling on mom or dad or you know they they felt empowered and they felt okay with the decisions and the conversations and and uh and that made for for us as a family life much much easier and And you got and it's going to take you time to find the right doctor now it's great to go to the colleges and the emory's and not everybody's going to get that we didn't get that Mm -hmm. um but you find the right doctor you feel comfortable with. You do your own research. You do check everything that they say. Okay, mm-hmm. I like nurse practitioners. I think nurse practitioners are up on more crap than doctors are. That's yeah. just my personal opinion when it comes to this disease anyway. Mm-hmm. Because you know you ain't going to be able to go surgically and do anything with it. Medicine's not going to fix it right now. It mm-hmm. won't ever fix it. Yeah. Um, there be some different kind of forms that might prevent it down the road a little bit. That's the only thing I see in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong, but I've seen it, not seeing anything. You can put there's a cure, do coconut oil. It's a cure. Coconut oil is great. Coconut oil is great for everything. It's not a cure, people. Yeah, that, yeah it might be a preventive. Doubt it. If you're sorry. There's just, we're just, you know, it's, you know, people, and I love that. Hey, we need to have hope. And I think it will happen, just not in my lifetime. So what we need to do is help families right here, right now. You know, this is a freaking epidemic. People are not realizing it. People do not know. Hey, man, I'm so glad. And I see the improvements they're making of cancer. I see the improvements they're making of HIV. And these movements started because of individuals. If we don't do it and get out there and do it ourselves, it's not going to change. Once you do it and you make a movement, legislation will change. Mm-hmm. 
things will change. Yeah. And, you, you know, people don't look at Alzheimer's like that. You know that. It's one of the most un, un, un understood diseases out there. They just think, oh, it's the old people forget crap disease. Yeah. You know yeah. what? Second guess is people are getting Alzheimer's, Down syndrome kids at 30, regular people at 30, 40, 50, 60. This is not that. This is an epidemic on the greatest scale in the United States and the world. Until people get it through their heads and other people join forces with us and become empathetic, it's not going to go anywhere. So we got to make the movement together. It's not working individually either. I hate, I really, and I don't like the word hate, but I just like seeing nonprofits working individually, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we're all doing the same thing and I like grassroots. I'm a big grassroots hippie. So let's just go ahead and, you know, what's, what you're going to start seeing is these larger nonprofits that have been around for a while that were built on money. What you're going to start seeing is the grassroots nonprofits overtake them because you know what we're doing? 80% for families, 20% cost. We're making 30 to $40,000 a year at most, even if you're taking a salary. We won't take any more than that because we've been care partners. We've lived it. You don't believe in it. You believe in public service, just mm -hmm. like a cop. Hey, when a cop gets paid more, when a teacher gets paid more, I'll get paid more. But I believe in public service. All that money, as much money as possible, needs to go to those families. I don't know what's happening in this world. When we lost the respect of our elders, which I think you've seen. You've seen it. Elders should be revered. I don't care if they have Alzheimer's. I don't care if they have cancer. I don't care if they don't. Respect your elders. If they're good people and they've lived this life, you respect them. And I don't know what's going on, but it's – sorry, you see the passion in my eyes. It is literally – it's upsetting me. Yeah. No, I get it. I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. Um, before we close, I do want to have you talk a little bit about um, your feelings about isolation and, and how that can occur. Because I know that you you went through a period of, of feeling pretty alone and not connected and not supported. Um, isolation can bring you to the point you almost kill yourself. The problem is, is, you know, it's like people need to go lock themselves in a closet for like, go do it for, you know, a couple hours, see how you feel. No music, no TV, no outside noise, just the little scrapings from maybe the outside world, right? Then try to figure out what you can do in that closet, whether there's a hanger, there's a box, what can keep you occupied so you don't go literally insane? Okay, now wait a couple more hours, sit there. And to the point where you're literally having panic attacks and you're getting claustrophobic, then run outside, jump out of the, in the sunshine or in the rain and see how overwhelming that is. Now do that for a day, do it for two days, do it for a month. Imagine doing that for a year. Imagine doing that for eight years. Imagine doing that for 14 years. That's a little bit what Alzheimer's and dementia families go through. Because the rest of the world does not understand them. Only the people that live disease does. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the, the beauties of the power of the grassroots and the Facebook groups and stuff is people can talk because a lot of times family and friends don't understand. Um, you know, they, they brush it off or they can't even. They, you know, a lot of people say, well, I just I don't talk about that stuff with my family. They don't get it. You know, we end up getting <laughs> 
But you need to do though, you know, you've got to find the beauty in your place. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it might be overwhelming, but at the end of that, find the beauty in the place that you've been given. Mm -hmm. Once you realize how to do that, you will live a happier existence than you've ever known because you will never take anything for granted again. Mm -hmm. And you will know a love more than you've ever known. I truly believe that. Yeah. I live. Yeah. Um, um, now, I'm, I'm going to have you just kind of summarize for us how you feel your nonprofit is different from many others. And I know you mentioned the... the I think I've explained it. We actually do 80%, 20 80% families. I think less than 20% cost. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully next year, I can tell you definitely from a grassroots organization, we will not take a government grant, anything. We will probably, to mention spotlight, um, our partners and us will probably be up to at least over 600,000. I would like to get that close to a million. Mm -hmm. um, it will be 80% families, 20% cost. That million will literally probably cost us $100,000. Mm -hmm. Go check your nonprofit. See if they're doing that. Same with the same I have a GED. How did I figure it out? And these guys didn't. I don't know. It makes me a little weary. Yeah. A lot of people sit there and say, I don't care what the CEO is making as long as 90% of it goes to families. Show me that nonprofit. Show me. Anybody making over a million dollars. Red Cross is great. She does it right. Salvation Army is awesome. All right. Shriners. Awesome. Give me an Alzheimer's dementia nonprofit that does it. That's not locally based. Give me one. If you can show me the proof of it, because believe me, you don't want to debate me on this crap. There's not one out there. You cannot do this making millions of dollars as a CEO. It's not possible. That's where we're different. Mm -hmm. So if you want a greater movement and help families right here, right now, we're not here trying to look for a cure, people. Not right now. We want to change legislation. That will come. We're here helping families right here, right now. Yeah, and I, I, I agree. I think we need much more of that right here, right now um, mentality because uh, we have to be able to lift these families up and support them. It's just, it's just too much, just too, too much. The only thing I've seen really is Michael J. Fox's organization. And, of course, he came in with a lot of money, but he has Parkinson's. But I think they've done more for the Alzheimer's dementia community looking for a cure mm -hmm. than anybody's done. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've read about that, but I just keep reading about his organization. I'm like, well, they're doing it right. They ain't taking money from anything. They're basically funded. Yep. So that's, that's great. I'd rather donate to him mm -hmm. for a cure, to be honest with you. Now, your event this year is um, Saturday, September 15th. And do you want to tell people a little bit about that? No one. I love you and I get it. It's not my event. It's a community event. I'm a glorified event planner. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it'll be again, driving and crying, 24 bands. We will have people of all timers and mentions, these brave souls that actually come out and speak at the event. Um, we'll also have radio personalities from all over Georgia at the event from iHeartRadio, um, from the Shannon Burke show. Um, then we'll also have care partners speaking throughout the event and just loud ass music driving and crying headlining again their song going straight to hell is on the billboards Darius Rucker Jason Aldean all these country guys are covering it right now and um, it's going to be amazing and then we go to Tampa then we come back here do it again make it two days parade Alzheimer's in the sky 
then go bring it to Seattle and Tampa. And we'll bring the rest of the cares and the wheelchair ramps and the hospital beds with us, guys. And so they can find out more going to your Alzheimer's Music org. So to all the Alzheimer's dementia families, literally has nothing to do with me. I'm a glorified event planner. So just Google it. This is yours. Well, thank you so much for being with us and uh, sharing your story and your work. It's fun to see how much you've grown in terms of what you're doing and what you're bringing to the community. So kudos to you. You're really honoring your father. No, he honored me every day of his life. In wrapping up, I'm just going to give a shout out to a couple other um, organizations. One is the Roberto app. It is a, a video game that measures brain function. And it's, uh, it's a great source uh, to engage in, and learn more about your brain and the different parts of it and how you're affected. You can also go to the Women's Alzheimer's Movement, uh, where you can find out more about Move for the Minds, which just took place in June. Uh, that is Maria Shriver's baby. She's very involved. And uh, you can find out more about her movement at the Women's Alzheimer's Movement.org. Last, I'm just going to mention the American Senior Magazine. They um, are a lifestyle magazine for seniors with topics that cover things ranging from nostalgia and health and wellness. And they interview and spotlight a lot of notable older Americans. So go to AmericanSeniorMagazine.com or again, you can go to Alzheimer'sSpeaks.com just like you can for the Roberto app and get some discounts uh, if you decide you want to purchase. Last in wrapping up, check out alzheimerspeaks.com. We have all kinds of uh, different things there. You can check out our dementia chats, which are video interviews of those truly who are the experts, those that are diagnosed. Thank you so much. Bye now. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.